continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But hang on, why should we do that? It's once saved, always saved, isn't it? You can't lose your salvation. Why would you have to be work it out with fear and trembling if you can't lose it? Who would fear and tremble about losing something that you can't lose? You work out your salvation with fear and trembling before an almighty God is watching you and it's not cut and dry like they've been preaching. Salvation loss is very real in Scripture. Because if it wasn't, why would we have so many references to it in Scripture? Why would Jesus say, remain in me? If you don't remain in me, I'll pick you up, throw you in the fire and burn you. And you'll be burned. Why would he say to remain in him, like remain in that relationship, if you can't lose that relationship? So salvation loss is very real. So Paul said this, work out your salvation with fear, the fear of God, and trembling. Be frightened to sin. You know what I'm saying? Be scared to go that way. Be scared to fall into sin. Be scared to do any of the things you used to do and you know is not in God. Be scared to do it because he tells you, work it out with fear and trembling before a holy God who has the power to throw you into an eternal hell. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Read the scriptures and know the truth about our salvation. And this is why I'm going through this. Because I'm afraid that many Christians in this modern age are going to go to hell. That's what I'm afraid of. And, you know, you've, you've heard my other thing about the part 14. And sometimes it might be like, oh, I wish Rob would do maybe another sermon on another topic. But is not this the most important topic of all? You know, you can be really good at eschatology and really good at apologetics and really good at all these things, but if you're living in hell for eternity, what's it gained you in all your studying? But if, you're, if you know and understand the, the concepts and, or the doctrines of salvation and what's expected of us to fulfill our salvation so we don't lose it, isn't that the most valuable, valuable knowledge? And then you get in eternity... And you can thank God, God, I made it. I made it because I didn't think that I couldn't lose my salvation. I've worked out my salvation with fear and trembling, just as the word says. Who's been enjoying the uh, New Testament survey? Yep. Have we been getting through a lot of scripture? And do you notice as we, as we uh, expound on it that suddenly the scriptures become even more clear? Who's had that experience as you're watching it and it's like, it's plain as day. You know, it, it's right there in the scriptures. And, and that's what I want to bring it to you today is I want to keep going with this because we're getting through so much scripture in doing it. You know, we're surveying the entire New Testament and uh, seeing the New Testament in a light that hasn't, had it, hasn't been revealed this way by a lot of ministers around the world. And I think it's uh, really, really important. Um, in my research for this, I was blown away by just how much Scripture pertains to this topic. Um, it's like it was, it, it's nearly this constant theme of the New Testament. You know, every chapter of every book just about has something to say on this topic. 
it seems like that it was the emphasis of the early apostles. It was the emphasis, it was the thrust, it was the, the, the message that they were trying to hit home every time they wrote a letter to a church, every time Paul did or Peter or John or James. They team, seemed to try to emphasize this actual aspect of our salvation that we are to be a holy people. And that's why you're, you're going to continue to see nearly every chapter of the New Testament is, has something pertaining to it, except that when we get into like the book of Acts and the book of Revelation, that's where there's not as many direct scriptures in relation to it because it's more story-based and, and the revelation is about future events. But there's still quite a few scriptures in even those books as well. Um, so let's, let's move right along. Philippians 1, 9 to 11. I'm pretty sure most of you are there. So and it says this. And this is my prayer. Who wrote this book? Who wrote Philippians? Paul. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Isn't that interesting? He's talking about love. He's talking about love. He's talking about a, a heart condition of love for the brethren and also for the lost, and that it may abound more and more in knowledge. So love abounds when you attach knowledge who knows it's hard to pray for your enemies? But what did Jesus teach? Love your enemies. Do good to those that harm you. So that's, that's knowledge that if we didn't have that knowledge, we wouldn't know to love our enemies. We would do you know, what David would do and hate the enemies. of The Old, you know, the old Testament, many of the kings and hated, hated their enemies. But Jesus says, I teach you a new command. You know, love them. Love them. So that's, that's a tough teaching, but that's where the knowledge aspect comes in. So that you may be able to, and, and depth of insight, and so that you may be able to discern what is best. See, then you can actually discern what is best. Who sometimes finds it hard in certain situations to discern what is the best thing to do right now? Yeah, it gets tough. You read through the book of Acts and you see that you know, Paul had to make some decisions sometimes. He, he must have spent quite a while preaching to the Jews and the Pharisees, and then all of a sudden he just said, you know what, I'm dusting my feet off. You know? he, he had to discern, is this the best thing to do? And why would he do that? Why would he dust his feet off in objection to them? It was a statement to them that they would go home with and go, that guy dusted his feet off against me. And they're laying in bed at midnight, that guy dusted his feet off against me. What did I do? What have I rejected? What have I missed out on here? You know, I'm not to say that so that we go and do that all the time to every person that re rejects the gospel, but it's to discern what is best in a situation. And that's, Paul had that sort of a situation all the time. Whether he was right or wrong in doing that, but what did Jesus say to do? When you go into those towns, if they reject you, what did he say to do? Dust your feet off in objection to that. That town. So it was Jesus, com Jesus commanded them, this is what you should do. Why? Because hopefully the conviction that comes upon that town will bring them to repentance in, in response to it. Amen? Um, so, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless. Get this, so that we may be pure. Put your hand up if you're pure. Mm. 
Are we pure in Christ? Amen. What do we go and do though? We mess ourselves up. We mess ourselves up. So we, but we must be pure. So one day I'm going to ask you guys, put your hand up if you're pure, and you know, nearly every hand's going to go up. But what does your heart tell you? What does the Spirit say to you? Don't put your hand up because you're not there yet. You know, I've got a lot of work to do on, in you. I've got to transform a lot of things. You've got to be a changed creation before you can put your hand up and say, I am pure. And, you know, sometimes humility of heart can actually keep us, even when we're pure in the eyes of others, we still think we're impure. And in a way, that's God's working in you, showing you that you've still got more you can do. There's still further to go. Who remembers the um, sermon where I spoke about coming into the light? And as you come into the light, before you come into the light, you've got this white garment and you look at it and you go, gee, this is a beautiful, clean garment. You go into a certain intensity of light and you look at your garment and it's got stains in it. You know, and you go, gee, where were they? I didn't see them in that light. So you wash it, get it nice and clean in that light and then you go into a more pure light and you look at your garment. There's stains and that's sort of, in a sense, an analogy of coming into the light of Christ. The closer you get to him, the more he's going to reveal stains in your life, sin in your life, things that you'd never considered. So as we come out of darkness, we have to keep washing ourselves because with every bit of light, if the intensity of light uh, intensifies as we get closer to Christ, and with every level of intensity, God deals with more things in us. Does that make sense? Yeah. So... 1, 9 to 11. So fill, uh, or actually I'll go back to 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless. We must become blameless. If you are in repentance, you are blameless, despite what you've done. If you've repented and turned and are living in him, you are blameless, despite what you've done. But if you, the things that you did which were really evil, if you continue to do them and just keep, using repentance as a sorry God but I'm going to do it again tomorrow night and then you sorry God I'm going to do it again tomorrow night and you just sort of like it's like you know um, a mafia boss going to confession sorry that I killed 10 guys this week next week sorry I only killed five this week but still I'm sorry next week sorry I only killed three this week so I'm doing better <laughs> you know Who's seen uh, The Godfather and they've got those confessions? It's craziness. And, and you, you just got to wonder, is this, you know, is this taking a bit from the truth? So filled with the fruit of righteousness. See, that's what we must be filled with. The fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and, pr and praise of God. You've got to be filled with righteousness to the glory and praise of God. Not so that you can say, look how holy I am. It's so that you can be Give glory to God so that God will receive all your glory. Because if someone says, wow, you know, I don't meet many people as honest and as much integrity as you, you'll say, well, if any of that you see, that's God. That's God worked in me. Amen. Who can, who can understand that? And that should be our confession. It shouldn't say, you shouldn't be saying, oh, thank you, you know, I'm pretty good, aren't I? You should be, any good you see, that's God. That's God worked out in me, and I'm glad you can see something working out, you know, God working out in me in some way. But just give him glory, because that's what it's for. Okay, Philippians 1, 27 to 29, and it says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, 
conduct yourselves worthy uh, or in a manner worthy of the gospel. See, we've got to be worthy of the gospel. We've got to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel which we preach. And it, we've got to live a life worthy of the gospel. We, we don't want to get to heaven and Jesus says, you were never living a life worthy of the gospel because you always did wrong and you didn't acknowledge it and you just kept right along living like that. We've got to live lives worthy of the gospel. That's what it says. So I'm just reiterating what it's saying here. In a manner worthy of the gospel. Then whenever I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, that you're standing firm in one spirit. One spirit meaning in, in the spirit of unity in the church. Standing firm, standing firm in the faith, standing firm in holiness and righteousness um, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So we're not to be f afraid of those that oppose us. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ. Listen to this. This is what's been granted to us. Read these words, everyone. I want you to see it. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. You know, anyone who suffers for Christ is done with sin. You know it says that in Scripture. So it's been granted to us to suffer. Now, what, whatever context that comes in, whatever context that is, that it's been granted. You know when you go, you go to a king and you ask him for a certain favour, yes, I grant you that favour. Well, that's what's been granted to us. Thank you, Jesus. You're, you, you're allowed to suffer for me, and I'll make sure throughout your life you will. So what does that tell us about our faith? Is Christianity all about just living this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful life? And having a, 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 you know, an easy life and nothing ever going wrong. Is that Christianity? It's been granted to us to suffer for him, for his name's sake. Did the, did the 12 apostles suffer? Was it an easy road for them? It was tough. They uh, all but one died um, you know, a torturous death. So it was granted to them to suffer. And there's this common thing today that in the West that, you know, well, that was then and this is now and, and now we're the chosen ones and we don't have to suffer for Christ and God doesn't call us to martyrdom in this age and all this sort of stuff. But are we reinterpreting Scripture by saying that? Are we trying to say that this no longer relates to us? But it is. We've been granted to suffer. So if you're suffering in any form, Know that it's been granted to you. And it's for your strengthening, it's for your building, it's for your growth. It's so that Jesus can work in you at a level that he couldn't work in if you weren't going through that. If he can lift you out of it, if he can give you the power to get above it and overcome it, you're going to be a far better person than if you never went through it. That's what it's for. You're going to grow as a Christian. I remember hearing a, a a, a man of God, he says, everything, any good thing that's happened in my life in the sense of development and growth of character has always come about through suffering. It never came about through the good times in life. Are, are good times easy? They are, aren't they? You know, going to the beach, laying down in the sun, you know, having a swim, 
you know, uh, just taking it easy, going to nice restaurants, laughing, having a good time. What do you learn from that? You learn how to have a good time. That's about it. But what about when you suffer and you go through some trial? And if you learn from that trial and develop and grow from that trial, you come out of it a stronger, better, more powerful Christian. And then you have a testimony on your lips. And you can say what Jesus has done for me. This is what he's done for me. He's enabled me to go through the hardest of times. And I've come out and, you know, I'm better. I'm better for it. I can handle that. And it was only because of God. I realize what it's like to be carried by God. I know now what it's like when God lifts you up and carries you through that time. As you depend on him, as you devote more time in prayer to him, as you read the scriptures more, as you lay your life down before him more. Amen. Now let's uh, keep on going. Philippians 2.12 and it says this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But hang on, why should we do that? It's once saved, always saved, isn't it? You can't lose your salvation. Why would you have to be work it out with fear and trembling if you can't lose it? Who would fear and tremble about losing something that you can't lose? You work out your salvation with fear and trembling before an almighty God who's watching you and it's not cut and dry like they've been preaching. Salvation loss is very real in Scripture. Because if it wasn't, why would we have so many references to it in Scripture? Why would Jesus say, remain in me? If you don't remain in me, I'll pick you up, throw you in the fire and burn you. And you'll be burned. Why would he say to remain in him, like remain in that relationship, if you can't lose that relationship? So salvation loss is very real. So Paul said this, work out your salvation with fear, the fear of God, and trembling. Be frightened to sin. You know what I'm saying? Be scared to go that way. Be scared to fall into sin. Be scared to do any of the things you used to do and you know is not in God. Be scared to do it because he tells you, work it out with fear and trembling before a holy God who has the power to throw you into an eternal hell. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Read the scriptures and know the truth about our salvation. And this is why I'm going through this. Because I'm afraid that many Christians in this modern age are going to go to hell. That's what I'm afraid of. And, you know, you've, you've heard my other thing, I'm up to part 14, and sometimes it might be like, oh, I wish Rob would do maybe another sermon on another topic. But is not this the most important topic of all? You know, you can be really good at eschatology and really good at apologetics and really good at all these things, but if you're living in hell for eternity, what's it gained you in all your studying? But if, you're, if you know and understand the, the concepts and, or the doctrines of salvation and what's expected of us to fulfill our salvation so we don't lose it, isn't that the most valuable, valuable knowledge? And then you get in eternity and you can thank God, God, I made it. I made it because I didn't think that I couldn't lose my salvation. I've worked out my salvation with fear and trembling, just as the Word says. You know, when you go on the computer and you start doing stuff, 
go on with fear and trembling. Go on with fear and trembling. Be careful what you click. You know, be careful what you look at. Delete. Do you know what I'm saying? Fear and trembling. Because that place is a cesspool. Absolutely. Be careful when you go out on the town with your mates and start meeting them in, in pubs. Be careful. Because that place is a cesspool. Satan's dens. That's what they are. Hotels. Satan's dens. You want to go and lose your salvation? Hang out in those places. That's, that's where they're all hanging out. The road to hell. It's like a doorway. Come in here. Have a drink. Go to hell forever. Not that clear, but you know what I mean? It, it just pulls them in. And if you become a regular, many Christians... We've got to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We've got to tremble before a holy God and say, Lord, please help me to stay on the path today. Help me to do the right thing today. Help me to know what it is that I must do today so I don't fail you today. Amen. 2, 12 to 16, and it says, do everything. Oh, no, no. Go back to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will. He works in you to will. And act according to his good purpose. Not according to your good purpose or your bad purpose or your any purpose. It's according to his good purpose. We are to will according to God's will and act according to God's will. According to his purpose. That's what we're to do. That's what Christians are called to. Will and act according to the good purpose of God. Do everything without complaining. Or arguing, and I'm glad we don't have those problems in this church. I haven't heard many people complain, and I've never heard anyone uh, uh, argue in our church setting. So that you may become blameless and pure. Get that? This is, guys. How many times has this been mentioned in our study so far? We are to be blameless. Now that's a big call. We've got to become blameless and pure children of God without fault. Whoa. Without fault. We're called to be without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. So it doesn't matter how crooked and depraved it is. It was crooked and depraved then. You're now in a crooked and depraved generation, and this generation will pull you down if you allow it. We've got to become pure and blameless in a crooked generation in which you should shine like stars in the universe. That's what we're called to do, to shine like stars. It's like you've got to decide, this is what I want to be. I want to shine like a star in this crooked and perverse generation. I want to be holy, pure, blameless. I'm going to live for that and set your heart on that. Set your heart to be that. You know? It's like, you know, um, someone decides they want to, you know, play a certain sport, say they want to learn to play cricket. They've never played cricket, but now they said, I'm going to play cricket, I'm going to become a cricketer. Now that person from that moment on, he would have to start to, you'd join a club, he would have to go out to training, you'd have to learn all the ropes of how to play cricket, and that's it, he starts to play cricket. And he sets his heart to play cricket. It's a change of, you know, uh, desire and ambition in life. It's the same with this. If you want to set your heart to live a holy, pure, blameless, righteous life in this perverse and wicked generation, you've got to set your heart and say, okay, whatever, I, whatever happens in my life that is contrary to that, I will not do anymore, and this is what I do from now on. It's a change of purpose, change of reason for living, and that's it. You live this holy and righteous life. Amen? 
Um, so as you hold out the word of life, so you should shine like stars in the universe, as you hold out the word of life, as you hold it out, as you, as you deliver the word in speech, as, as God starts to speak through you continuously, as you go out among your, your friends, your peers, and, and when, I'm, when I say that, you don't have to necessarily be preaching at them. As you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. So what he's saying is, guys, live a holy and righteous life. Be holy. Be righteous. Because that's going to be in order that I may boast on the day of Christ. When Christ comes, he, his one boast, he's going to have one boast. Lord, I preached to them and it wasn't in vain because they responded and became a holy people. So let's give Paul that boast in this church. Amen. So when Paul, on that day when we see Paul, Paul can boast, you guys listen to my words on this, and I, now I can boast that you guys became a holy royal priesthood, and that's going to be his boast. Yeah, because that's sort of what he's saying, isn't it? It's funny how it all pieces together when you start reading Scripture now. Now get this, 3.8. 3.8. What, I, what is more, I consider everything a loss. Everything, that's meaning anything else in life is a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything else is a loss. Who, put up your hand if everything else is a loss, that you consider everything else a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Do you feel that way? That everything else is a loss compared to that. That knowing Christ Jesus is the most important thing in your life. Put up your hand. Yeah, good, good. There should be some hands going up. It should be that Christ becomes our central figure in our life. That compared to that, everything else is zero. Everything else is nothing. And that's what he's saying. What is more, I consider everything else a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. So we're getting this theme in Scripture that God expects Christians to completely give up everything to serve him completely and wholly in every you know, element of their life. doesn't mean you don't go to work. doesn't mean you don't do any of those things. What it means is Christ must become central. Christ must become all-encompassing in our life. He must become the overarching reason for our existence. And it should, he should be our daily concern. He should be where our heart is lifted up to continuously. Amen? You sort of get that from this as, as we're reading through. I consider them rubbish. He considers everything else rubbish. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, because he has no righteousness of his own, that comes from the law, which comes from the legal requirements of the old testament but that which is through faith in christ the righteousness that comes from god and is by faith so that righteousness comes from god by faith what that means is the righteousness that comes by the holy spirit who you enable or allow to work through you so that you can be holy those right that righteousness must be outworked in our life by, the, by us allowing the Holy Spirit to direct our path. It doesn't happen vicariously. It doesn't happen like, oh, it's, I'm just righteous now. You know, when you're first saved, you're 
cleansed, washed of all your sin. Amen. That's how it works. But from then on, do we mess ourselves up again? Yeah, we keep on going back into sin. But then what this is saying is that that through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, that is by faith, should be outworking through us continuously. And I want to know Christ and the power of his res resurrection. So what he's saying is I want to know what it's like to be resurrected from the dead, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow, get these words now, somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. So he's saying, somehow, I want to make sure that I attain to the resurrection of the dead and that I get saved. He wants to never put that in jeopardy. He wants to put it first and he wants to make sure that he doesn't lose his salvation. So that somehow he will attain to the resurrection of the dead. And then just to back that up, he says, not that I've already obtained all this. What's he saying? I haven't already obtained it. In his heart, he knows he's saved, but he hasn't attained it yet. It's like this. Someone gives you a car, but it doesn't get to you for a year. In your heart, you know the car's coming, but I haven't attained it yet. I haven't got it yet. It's a year away. Now, a year's a long time. You can mess it up. So that's why he's saying, I, I am saved, but I, I haven't attained it yet, and I want to make sure that I attain it, so I work out this life with fear and trembling. So I don't mess it up. I don't want to lose my salvation. So somehow I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. So somehow God will somehow make it possible by the Holy Spirit for me to attain to the resurrection of the dead. That's how, I'm re that's how I read it. You know, I'm sure there's many ministers who are once saved, always saved, that will reread that for you. I'm just reading a lot of scripture, trying to put it all together. So he says, not that I've already obtained all this. This is verse 12. Or have already been made perfect. He doesn't think he's perfect yet. That's good. So he's not into perfectionism. All right? We're not to be thinking we are perfect. We are to live a holy and righteous life. If it be possible, we can live a perfect life. But to the best we can do is have a heart of repentance so that when we fail, we repent, we get right with God, we come back and we do everything in our power not to mess up again. So not that I've already obtained all this or already made, been made perfect, but I press on. But I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So he presses on. He pushes on. He perseveres. He says, I'm not going to give up. I am not going to. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to work with, uh, with complete devotion to him. I'm going to stay fixed and steadfast in my repentance. I am not going to. I'm going to resist the sin nature. I'm going to resist the devil. I am going to live a holy, righteous life. And then he says this, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. He's using these words like straining. Who knows what straining feels like? Yeah? Who's, who works out in the gym? That last rep of your maximum weight? You know what I mean? It's straining. You know? <laughs> 
That's where you hear the testosterone going off the charts and grunts and... Remember that, Anthony? <laughs> well, we used to have a, a club together and there was a lot of straining going on in those days. Remember that, Lou? Um, so he, he's, he's talking about a, a Christian life that he's leading and he's talking about straining, straining towards what is ahead. He's wrestling. He's fighting with this. He's giving everything to it. I do not consider myself yet to take an hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards, for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Pressing on towards the goal to win the prize. Pressing on. That's what it's all about. We've got to work this life out. We've, we've got to strain towards what is ahead. We've got to press on in righteousness. Amen? Who knows what I'm talking about? If, you, if you've lived Christian life for a little while, you'll know it's a strain at times. It's a struggle. And then you mess up and you feel condemnation and then you've got to get someone like me or Vina to say, no, you shouldn't be condemned. You feel conviction. So you repent, so you get right with God, so you can live that life again in Him. Do you know? It's a strain. It's a strain and it's a struggle. To win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. How's that? All of us who are mature should take such a view. We should take this view of what Paul just described. Did I just read a lot of Scripture? Did Paul say it or me? I want to hear you all say Paul. Paul. Paul said it. Right? I haven't written my own version of the Bible. But Paul said it. All of us who are mature should take such a view. Actually, all of us who are mature should take no other view of things. And if some point and oh, sorry, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. So if on some point you're, you start thinking differently about this doctrine, God's going to make that clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Let us live up to it. We've already attained much in Christ, every last one of us. We've already attained a certain place in God. I don't know where that is currently. I'm, I always wonder with God because, you know... Um, just like a plant, some trees grow big and some grow small, you know, and there could be the same, same uh, seeds from the same pod, but one will grow really big, the next one will grow small. So in, in, in God's kingdom, there are different trees, and the big ones are those that have really attained to much, and the smaller ones are those that haven't attained to as much. And so God honors People in different ways. He loves us all equally, but he honors us all in different ways. Who knows that Paul is going to be honored in great ways. He was honored to be, have so many letters in the scriptures. We could all just dream of one day you know, being a Paul. So we've got to live knowing that um, we, we, we've got to attain to the things he's called us to. And if we fulfill everything that we've been called to, if each and every one of us fulfill what we've been called to, then we should walk in more of what God wants us to do than even Paul did. 
Because there's not one of us that he sort of shows so much favor to that he says, I'm going to bless you so magnificently that no one will possibly be able to do as much as you. It doesn't work that way. Every last one of us can attain to as much as Paul in different ways. You know, we don't have to, we can't live the same life as Paul, but we can be as committed and we can even be as more committed. Because I'm sure there was times when Paul didn't feel committed. Was there times when Paul mucked up? Sure there was. I know he had a fight with Barnabas. I don't know who was in the wrong. Only God knows that. But one of them one of them was. So, you know, everyone has these things happen, even Paul. But we can attain to much. So only let us live up to what we have already attained. Let us live up to it. Join with others in following my example. See, we've got to follow his example. He's calling us to... You know, we've got to follow the example of Christ. But now Paul's saying, follow my example in how to live for Christ. Because Christ was Christ. We should be like Christ. But then who do we follow in relation to living for Christ is someone like Paul. And Paul actually had the confidence to actually say, follow my example if, if there's no one else. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Take note of them. If you meet someone that's holy, if you meet someone who's righteous, you meet someone who's impeccably godly, take special note of that person. Mark them down. For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. What he's saying is they... They claim to be Christian, but their lives, in their lives and their lifestyle, it's like they're living as an enemy. It's like they're, they're doing everything that they shouldn't do. So don't become an enemy of God by giving in to your sin nature. Fight it and fight it to your last breath. We've got we to gotta be uh, you know, very, very forceful against that sin nature because it comes in different ways. It tries to get you from different angles. It sneaks up on you. We've got to fight it. We've got to resist it. And we do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're not in prayer adequately in the morning, suddenly you find it hard. And for as I've told before, and now I say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. How many people do you know whose God is their stomach? All they talk about is food and going out. Needing. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Their glory is in their shame. They make jokes of shameful situations. And, and, and that's the, they glory in it. There's probably more to that. I won't go into it. But, we, but our citizenship is where? Is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we'll be like his glorious body. That's the promise. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. That's where the, the chapter should have ended after that verse. Therefore, my, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord. What we just read is how we should stand firm in the Lord. And there seems to be, according to Scripture, no other way. 
any other watered-down version is not suffice. It's you've got to be vigilant, you've got to be strong, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you've got to say no to the sin nature, you've got to live and fulfill your repentance, which is turning away from sin, and you've got to be you know, strained towards it, you've got to live for him first and put him first. So that scripture there, which starts back at um, verse 8 of chapter 3, Write it down and, and read over it a few times this week. Keep reading over it. Like get it in your head and take your time with it and just really, uh, you know, study it well because it's a really important scripture. Okay, Philippians 4, 8 to 9. This is just to finish the book of Philippians. Philippians 4, 8 to 9. It says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. What, what you, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So whatever you've seen from me or heard from me, put it into practice. But this sermon is for not just to say, so that you go away and say, you know, I know a lot more about salvation now. It's for you to go away and put it into practice. It's to live it. Amen? It's to live it. And I always ask God, are you sure you want me to continue with this series? Because we go over the ground over and over again. I always ask that because, you know, there's a lot you can preach on. And I just keep hearing in my heart that it is the most important doctrine and the most important study you'll probably ever do in your Christianity. And it's not as flashy as some other studies. Like, you know, when you study, um, you know, the book of Revelation, it's, there's some quite exciting things that you can learn and all that sort of thing. But all well and good, that's fine. But if you end up living eternally in hell, how has it helped you? Salvation is key. And who knows... Um, that what I've been revealing over this series, who feels that um, it's a bit eye-opening in relation to it? Who hasn't sort of heard it quite like this before? Especially in mainstream churches today. Do they preach this kind of stuff? It's usually, and, I, and I've been, uh, Vina and I have been in churches for years, never presented. Never presented. And I'm like, wow, this is an epidemic. And that's why in many respects, like some of you, have, you've only been under my uh, teaching, so you, you haven't really heard much else, so you know this now, right? But you'd be absolutely shocked if you went into some churches. And I've heard people that, like, they, they contact me from America all the time, and they say, we tune into you every week, and, soon, and even other states of Australia too. We've got quite a few people following our ministry. They say, uh, we tune into you all the time because we can't hear, find a single church anywhere. That preaches this. So they, they tune in weekly. Every time a sermon goes up, there's always... We, we don't get huge amounts of hits. We get 100 or 200 hits on a, on a sermon video. But they're always really rapid. Like They're always... Shoo, we go straight up to 100 and then it sort of peters out. And it's like the same people jump on. As soon as the sermon's uploaded, they jump on and watch it. And they're all... Not all of them, but uh, those that contact me are saying to me, we don't hear this anywhere. So I've, I've been feeling really pressed that I, I've got to keep going with it. Because if not for your own benefit, because one day when um, 
you know, temptation can seize you and things can go wrong in your life and you can start questioning a whole bunch of things. Hopefully you've had enough solid grounding in this to have maybe undone some of the, the incorrect teaching in relation to it and established you in it so that you can stand firm in those times. Because that's what a lot of this does. What I'm having to do with it is undo some teaching that you may have all been sitting under. I know Vina and I had to undo a lot. And as I'm reading it, as I was discovering it, as I was studying this, I was like, I can't believe this is in the Scriptures. So frequently. I knew, there were, I knew it wasn't once saved, always saved. I always knew that. But I never quite comprehended how vast it is in Scripture, how constantly it repeats itself, how it keeps coming back. Salvation and holiness always linked. Righteousness by the Spirit working in you. you. It works out through you and you receive salvation not because of your own righteousness but because of God's righteousness, righteousness working in you and through you. And the evidence, that's the fruit of the Spirit. You'll know them by their fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is a righteous, holy life lived in Him. That's the fruit. And, and so their only defense to these people, they'll say, well, they, now you're preaching. Now you're preaching what? What do they call it? Legalism. Because you're preaching holiness. That's, a le that's Old Testament. And then you read scriptures like this, which is what I've got here, Romans 8, 3b to 4. It says, so he condemns sinful, sin in sinful man. He condemned it. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. The righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. He condemned it so that it could be met in us. Romans 3.31, do we then nullify the law by this faith? No, not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. So the righteous requirements of the law are still active. And, and I've said this to you, and I'm just saying it again for the video, for people listening around the world, that just because you're a Christian and you're no longer under the law does not mean suddenly you can murder someone. It doesn't mean... You can commit adultery. doesn't mean you can do you know, any other sinful thing that the Scriptures declare as sinful. It doesn't give you a right to do that. It doesn't give you the right to be able to break the law and speed down a road or anything like that. So what is he talking about when he says you're not under the law? He's not talking about the moral requirements because it said we are still under the righteous requirements of the law. We're under the righteous requirements, but we're no longer under the ceremonial and dietary and everything else. Well, thank you, Lord. Lord, I just give you praise and I thank you for this, thank you for this time and these wonderful people and the honor of being able to, to preach to them, Lord, and to share the word. And I just pray that every single person here, Lord, will just get stronger and stronger in you. Lord, I pray that they'll all just go from strength to strength and, and keep seeking you and pouring themselves into the faith. Lord, that they'll just put you first in everything, Lord, and... Uh, that uh, week by week that they'll just be uh, just grow stronger and more holy in you and more committed and more devoted. I just pray for a real lift of, of our Christian characters, our, our Christian attitudes that will become uh, wonderful representatives of you while we live on this earth. Lord, that you would be pleased with um, all that we do. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Lord, look after us this week. Lord, help us and strengthen us and protect us. Cover us with your precious blood and put your angels around us and keep us on the path of life, Lord. And help us to stay focused. Help us to stay committed. 
Lord, and I pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. So be with us now and just bless this time together as we fellowship after this service. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.